Hello and a very warm welcome to The Lancet Podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Friday, October the 23rd. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by my colleague, Rebecca Cooney, who is our US editor. Welcome back. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. We're talking, obviously, about America. We're talking about America, America's health and the politics of America's health. The long leader in the October the 24th issue is basically examining where we are in America in terms of the progress of the Affordable Care Act and also what's happening on the political front because let us not forget we are just about a year away from the US election I can hardly believe it so just for context back I mean you know, we always like when we work in health to assume that politicians are going to think of health and nothing else. Sometimes our expectations may be a bit high. What about your view as, as to how you see health as being a, a key issue in the upcoming US election next year? Well, I think it's going to be really a central issue, but perhaps not in the same way that we would hope in that it probably won't be so much health as it will be about health spending. And I think it's going to be a point that really is going to further distinguish Democrat from Republican agendas. And and really, at this point, what's at stake is, is where candidates are signaling what their willingness is to either toe the party lines or, or how cooperative or potentially adversarial of a stance they plan to adopt with stakeholders, for example, insurance companies. Absolutely. I think key thing to mention again for context if you're outside uh, the United States it's important to look at the Affordable Care Act this is obviously landmark legislation it's probably the thing that um, President Barack Obama is going to be remembered for getting the Affordable Care Act on the statute book in 2010 five years ago but boy it's had a rough ride since then we won't go into the history of all that but one significant thing to mention is just June was it this year the Supreme Court ruling tell us more about that Yes. So in um, June of this year, 2015, King versus Burwell, the decision came down from the Supreme Court with a six to three ruling in favor of the Department of Health and Human Services. And essentially what it did was to uphold the tax credits for health care plans, whether or not they were purchased via the federal marketplace or through marketplaces that were established by the individual states. And really, it is a huge milestone for the Affordable Care Act in that had the Supreme Court decided in favor of the plaintiff, King, it really would have been the, the mortal blow to the Affordable Care Act. And by no means, this is the end of any legal challenges, but I think it really took the wind out of the sails of that first real spate of partisan attempts to eliminate the Affordable Care Act via the court system. Now, in terms of the party politics, things are hotting up. Recently, you've had the televised debates, haven't you, from, from Las Vegas. These were the Democrat Party candidates on TV recently, which our editor and our boss, Richard Horton, is waxing lyrical also in the current issue of The Lancet because some of the candidates and, and they include obviously Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders did talk about health but not just about health but health in a fairly liberal way. There were references to European health systems models like in Scandinavia. There was talk of health being a right which is something you don't always hear in America and also of, of climate change, the relationship between climate change and health. This seems different to, to, to last time around. It is different and it, it probably sounds particularly refreshing to Europeans, but you are exactly right. And and Richard Horton, I think in perhaps his most optimistic offline piece that he's written about American healthcare, really makes this important point in connecting the dots, especially in this in the Democratic um, debate about the political discussion being between the social determinants of health in this country and actual health outcomes. And it's really been lacking so far. And but I would say even going um, adding to his points that really 
any strides that the Affordable Care Act is going to make with increasing coverage and within the intention of improving those health outcomes is going to be predicated by tackling the social issues and removing the barriers to care that come from low socioeconomic status. In terms of the Republican side, the editorial makes reference to Jeb Bush's views. He's the first Republican candidate to have come forward with ideas. Is that right? And and how is what he's saying different to what the Democrats might be saying at this very early stage? Interestingly, so October 13th, he released um, his sort of alternative plan in the most generous interpretation of what the gist of um, this alternative would be. It's intended to spur healthcare enrollment by giving increased individual tax credits, but also higher ceilings on what individuals can contribute to their healthcare savings accounts. The proposal would create about this 18-month transition plan, but the downsides are that it would force about 17 million people who've been covered in the Affordable Care Act to enroll in different healthcare plans, different new policies. In addition, the the real key part of this is that it would do away with some of the protections that make the Affordable Care Act really the this monumental piece of health reform. And that includes guaranteeing coverage for pre-existing conditions, maternal care, mental health care. So there are clearly some negatives and clearly some negative factors that would affect low-income people. Talking of people on low incomes, and just a line on this, I realise it's a really complex topic. But Medicaid, which uh, is the insurance system in place, has been around 50 years, that protects offers protection to people on low incomes and Medicare, which is a similar thing, but for people over the age of 65, whilst these have been part of the furniture for 50 years now, they are having to change and change shape a little bit with the ongoing implementation of the Affordable Care Act and also because of of global economy. Is that right? And I think, you know, the, the important takeaway point here is how much Medicaid and Medicare are influenced by the, the larger economic factors. Probably the most salient one is going to be higher medical costs that really undermine a lot of the relief that these programs can bring. And just two quick examples on that point. So Medicaid, the Kaiser Family Foundation released um, on October 15th a new report showing that not only did Medicaid enrollment expand, but spending has increased substantially to the tune of about 14%. And Um, What's also really interesting about that is that Medicaid spending in states that chose not to expand has actually counterintuitively increased twice as much as spending in states that did expand Medicaid. And then on the Medicare front, higher medical costs, again, are driving Medicare premiums probably to be increased by about 52% according to the the latest fee schedule. And so these are really showing how these greater economic factors are going to push that off onto greater spending by the states, greater spending by the federal government and by individuals. Now, also, Beck, there is a deadline looming, isn't there, for enrollment in new schemes for 2060 new health insurance schemes under the Affordable Care Act. Is that right? There is indeed. So the next three-month window for signing up for 2016 health coverage begins really soon on November 1st. So you'll hear next Susan Jaffe, our Washington, D.C. correspondent, who talked with Secretary Sylvia Matthews Burwell from the Department of Health and Human Services. This is Susan Jaffe in Washington, D.C., and in a few days, starting November 1st, enrollment begins for year three of the health insurance program under the Affordable Care Act, known as Obamacare. So this is the third open enrollment season, and government officials are predicting it could be tougher than ever. 
and the past two years haven't been easy. This law has survived two legal challenges that went as far as the Supreme Court, embarrassing technical glitches satirized on comedy shows like Saturday Night Live, and more than 50 congressional votes attempting to dismantle it. Yet, despite these distractions, to put it mildly, Americans have been signing up for health insurance. Here's how Health and Human Services Secretary Sylvia Matthews Burwell put it in a press conference earlier this month. The ACA's coverage provisions have taken effect since that's happened. About 17.6 million uninsured Americans have been able to get covered, and that's the largest decrease in the uninsured in decades. But according to Burwell, that achievement creates a new challenge. Based on our most recent analysis for this open enrollment, there are about 10.5 million uninsured Americans who are currently eligible for the marketplace. So we're starting this year with significantly fewer uninsured that are eligible than last year's population, and they're a little harder to reach. Burwell went on to say that the government expects to enroll about one out of four people from that group of 10.5 million. Here's how she explained the numbers. After accounting for people who will drop out during the year, marketplace enrollment is expected to grow to about 10 million by the end of next year, which is a net increase of slightly less than a million people. What this means is, and here's the surprising thing, the Obama administration is taking previous enrollment projections from the Congressional Budget Office, which was about 20 million, and is cutting that in half. Even to reach this modest target will require a lot more work. DC HealthLink, which is Washington, D.C.'s insurance marketplace, has reduced the number of uninsured residents by 20%, says Linda Wharton Boyd, the communications director for DC HealthLink. I would dare to say as we enter into this third enrollment period that we are reaching out to the hardest of the hard to reach. So we had to be creative in our outreach methods We had to think outside of the box. In an ethnically diverse urban community like Washington, D.C., D.C. HealthLink is running a very targeted and creative grassroots enrollment campaign. Our faith-based weekend, which started on Friday and ran through Sunday, where we did outreach in mosques, synagogues, temples, churches, and -hmm. other places of worship. And we had to engage those partnerships because we understand that trusted voices lend themselves greatly to getting people to move to action. And they are also going to bars, restaurants, music clubs, and movie theaters to reach the young adults who make up about half of the marketplace-eligible group across the country and who are still uninsured. We had to reach out to the young invincible or millennial crowd so we had to come up with campaign strategies geared toward them. They're called the, uh, the young invincibles because they think they are invincible. <laughs> they think that, um, that what ails us as adults does not bother them, that they can weather the storm, they will not get sick, they will not get hurt. So they're invincible. Mm-hmm. So we looked at the young invincibles as well as the African-American community, especially men, the Latino community the Asian and Pacific Islander community, the LBGTQ community, 
we reached out to those particular as what we call a segmented market group. Even though Republicans say the Affordable Care Act isn't working and should be replaced, Burwell says the law has already made it possible for millions of Americans to get the medical care they need. This open enrollment is going to be a challenge, but ultimately having fewer uninsured Americans to sign up is a good problem to have because that is what our fundamental core goal is, to reduce the number of uninsured. Reporting for The Lancet in Washington, D.C., I'm Susan Jaffe. Thanks very much to Susan Jaffe for that, and you can read her full report in the World Report section of the October 24th, the issue that we are discussing. So finally, Beck, the U.S. election is just over a year away, but I think it's fair to say that a firing gun of sorts has gone off, hasn't it? Because we're now at the point where we're going to be getting a sense of where the politicians' views are concerning the shape of health in the United States now and beyond. The election is going to be looming large and is really going to dominate coverage in the United States. So we will be watching closely. And we will be returning to this topic and talking to Beck, no doubt, many more times. So Beck Cooney on the line from New York City. Many thanks indeed for joining us on the podcast. And thanks to Susan Jaffe earlier. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon.